Welcome to the Fundraising Leadership Podcast, where we engage in lively and thoughtful conversations about personal development in the nonprofit world. I'm Janice Cunning, and I'm here with my partner, Michelle Malloy-Dillon, and we're super excited today to welcome author Gretchen Rubin, who is one of the most influential and thought-provoking observers of happiness and human nature. She's the New York Times bestselling author and co-host Happier with Gretchen Rubin with her sister, Elizabeth Kraft, which I am a huge fan and I listen every week to the podcast. And she joins us today to talk about her latest book, Life in Five Senses, How Exploring the Senses Got Me Out of My Head and Into the World. Welcome, Gretchen. I'm so happy to be talking to you. Thank you. It's wonderful to have you with us. So in your book, you talk about this you know, this sort of aha moment where you have this routine trip to an eye doctor and it launched this path to explore the senses. Can you tell us a bit about that experience? Yeah, I had a bad case of pink eye. So I went to the eye doctor and uh, as I was getting ready to leave, he said to me very casually, like, be sure to wear sunscreen. He said, be sure to come back for your regular checkup because as you know, you're more at risk for losing your vision. And I said, no, I did not know that I'm more at risk for losing my vision. What are you talking about? And he said, oh yeah, you know, you're really nearsighted. So you're you're at a greater chance of having a detached retina, which could uh, affect your vision. And so we would want to catch that right away. And I had a friend who had just lost some of his vision to a detached retina. So, you know, that felt like a very real possibility to me. So I walked out onto the street and uh, I live in New York City. So I was getting ready to walk home and I, I was looking all around me and and just appreciating everything. And, you know, so often, at least I find for me, I, you know, it's hard to appreciate something until you lose it or you're afraid you're going to lose it. And I was looking all around and realizing all of this is so beautiful. It's so important to me. And yet I didn't notice anything about this on my way over. I didn't see one single thing as I was walking over. And of course, I knew that I could have a rich, meaningful life if I lost my vision or my, some of my senses. But still, I was I was just so overwhelmed with this this possibility. And at that moment, it was like every knob in my brain jammed itself up to eleven, and I could see every leaf on the trees. I could hear every sound on a separate track. I could smell every smell in smelly New York City just flooding in and it lasted my whole walk home. And I thought this is happening all the time. All of this is happening all around me. I I'm not paying any attention and it's so beautiful. I don't want to take it for granted. And I realized that, you know, I had known in my study of happiness that there was some missing piece. I could sense that there was something that I wasn't giving enough attention to. And that walk home, this kind of psychedelic transcendent walk showed me that that was the missing puzzle piece. I needed to connect to the world through my five senses. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, exactly. It's, you know, that sort of hits you. And, you know, what I like, and some people might know you for the Happiness Project. I mm -hmm. mean, that's that's a book I think many people will have read and and heard about. And what I think is great about your work is, you're very pragmatic. Like you take mm -hmm. a practical approach, right? <laughs> Some people like, I think we, you know, as coaches, yeah. people are like, I want to be more mindful. I want right. to be more present. And you talk a lot about that on the podcast too. Like, okay. So like most people can't do that. <laughs> it's not yeah. actually clear. So yeah. how did you conceive of like, it was sort of like a, I mean, you really took it on as a five senses project. So how did yeah. you get to that place where you made it practical? 
Well, you're exactly right. I have kind of a Ben Franklin uh, attitude where I'm sort of like, yes, I get all these transcendent ideas and that's really important. But then how do I how would we put it to use in our ordinary lives tomorrow without spending a lot of time, energy or money? Okay, so like what would you do? Um, I think a lot of times it's not a persuasion problem. It's an execution problem. Like Mm -hmm. we get what we're supposed to do. It's just like, okay, but okay, so what would I actually do? So the first thing I did um, with the five senses is, you know, the more you know, the more you notice. And I thought, okay, I don't even really understand that much about my five senses. You know, first of all, I had to decide which senses, because, you know, Mm -hmm. scientists will say we have 33 senses, we have 35 senses. So to figure out, okay, well, what senses? So I had to do that research. Then I figured, no, you know, and I'm going to stick to what you could call the kindergarten senses, or you could call them the Aristotelian senses, uh, depending of the big five. Um, and, uh, and then, and then just trying to learn more, this was just, you know, really reading books for me. I always start with just kind of going to the library and, and then as I was studying then I started to think of things that I wanted to try, or I would come across experiments that I wanted to try, or I would think of classes that I wanted to take. And so as I started to know more, I began to become more curious and 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 start to see the kind of things that I could try. Um, and I was always on the lookout for something that I could that I could try. Um, you know, um, I remember reading about, oh, you can make a non-Newtonian fluid out of cornstarch. And I was like, that's exactly the kind of thing I could try. I got cornstarch just like everybody. And I <laughs> love cornstarch. So do that. And so a lot of it was just um, being on the lookout for suggestions. And then the deeper I got into it, the more I started to think of things that I wanted to try, Um, you know, kind of my own original exercises and uh, experiments. Um, But that was part of what was really creative and fun about it, which was um, how would I do it? And then it also gave me an excuse to do a lot of things that I like really wanted to do, like. I realized that neither of my daughters had ever made Jiffy Pop popcorn. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is like a billable hour. We must have popcorn immediately. And they, you know, of course, their minds were blown because what is cooler than Jiffy Pop popcorn? And, um, you know, and so a lot, you know, and, and my approach for this was like, keep it fun, keep it playful, keep it like, let's have fun with the five senses. Let's not sit down and drink one sip of coffee for 30 minutes. Some people like that. Sure, there's a lot of value to it. That wasn't my approach. I really wanted to have a, a, a just a more playful uh, way to connect with the five senses. Yeah. yeah, you're so curious and exploratory about your world. And it just the way you speak about it just makes the life feel so full. Yeah. And so like every sensation, every moment is a chance to explore the depth and the exploration of what it feels like to be alive. Well, I'm so happy to hear that that was your response because I really wanted to capture that in the book and this kind of the sense that it's all it's all happening all around mm-hmm. us if we just sort of wake up to it. Um, and it, we can tap into this sort of source of vitality and energy and just appreciation for the beauty of the world. And we don't have to buy anything or mm-hmm. make an appointment or, you know, or discipline our minds. You know, it's right there. Um, so I'm glad that that was um, kind of the vibe you got from the book. Yeah. 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 It's, I, you know, you and your sister talk a lot about the podcast about being whimsical, right? Like it's, yeah. yeah, Like there's a lot of great stuff about, you know, meditation and mindfulness and, you know, we do a lot of that work, but there is something I I think, especially right now in this moment in the world where Mm -hmm. it's like, we need to have some whimsy and fun. (laughs) 
No, exactly. And like, and it's like, you know, like with a team of people where you're trying to get to know each other, maybe you can talk about things like, what was your favorite junk food as a kid that your parents would never buy you? Or like, what's the hometown food that you can only get right in your hometown and no place else in the world really makes it right? Or because, or, you know, um, what, you know, what do you remember about your grandparents' kitchen? Because these are ways, these are like, there's kind of an excitement to sensory memories and experiences it's a way to be revealing without being intimate in a way that like might make people feel uncomfortable. It gives you a sense of someone. Um, but it's, but again, it's playful. It's fun. Um, it kind of helps draw people together because one thing we really share is our five senses and the experience of our five senses. Um, and so, because I think we all want to join together, but we want to do it in a way that is like very respectful. Yeah. We, you know, yeah. I love that because we sometimes when we're, we facilitate with teams, we'll say, tell us about one thing you like to do, like an activity when you were a kid. Yeah. And it makes people laugh because yes. often it tracks, like it's sort of yes. like the yes. kid who like, well, I was like, I lined all my teddy bears up and was the teacher yeah. at the front of the room. Yeah. And right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. comes out of me. <laughs> no. Well, and it's funny because one of the, um, so a big theme in my work and on the Happier podcast is know yourself better because it's hard to know ourselves. And a really interesting question to ask people is, what did you do for fun when you were 10 years old? Exactly your question. And it's very interesting when there is this, like, I remember somebody who said that she used to um, sit in front of a mirror and like, talk like to a wooden spoon and now she's a tv anchor <laughs> and somebody i know said she played with her dollhouse she had three dollhouses that her father made for her and she's like she played to them played with them like well past the season of like you know respectability social respectability <laughs> and now she's an interior decorator mm -hmm. and so a lot of times there there are these um you know you can see the roots of it and and, and it is fun so yeah I, yeah I think that there's a lot of ways we can draw closer um through memories and through and specifically through sensory and I, memories yeah and I too. think bringing in like a food like that feels like it takes that question and even amps it up because people are having this visceral experience you know yes. of like remembering how that smelled and what it tasted like and what it felt like to be in the place like where they ate that food and so uh, yeah that is that is we're going to add that to our repertoire michelle yeah. well <laughs> yeah. it's fun too because people have have like different responses like i remember uh, i was with a bunch of friends and we started talking about cherry mash which is like that's the kind of game i'm like have i even had cherry mash like that's so old-fashioned but i can exactly see it and everybody had their own take on cherry mash it's like who knew we had so many opinions but like it didn't matter but it was fun to like, kind of argue about it and talk about it yeah. Well, what I love about this discussion about our five senses is it can bring us back into nostalgia, yeah. which can be so wonderful to explore. And it can also bring us fully into the present now. Yes. And a yes. lot of times when we're working with clients who are under a lot of stress, it's like, well, what's here now? Yes. Yeah, and, my, yes. Um, it, 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 and that's what's interesting about the, the census is it, it like it will point in any direction. This was one of the things that that really surprised me as I was getting into it, because, I mean, obviously, when I started this, my hypothesis is was that was it connected with my five senses would make me happier. But what surprised me is that, like, with just about any aim that you have, even contradictory aims, you could deploy the five senses. So like you say, yeah. it could help you connect with the past. Yes. But it can also help you connect to the present. Yes, even though those two things are different, it can help you calm down, but it can also help you pump up, you know, um, it can help you connect with other people, but it can also take you deeper into yourself. It can help you like be 
productive and focused, but it also can help you daydream and spark creativity. And so it's sort of like this super flexible tool, but one that all of us have all around us. Um, and I think when you say to people, okay, well, you know, you feel like you, 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 you're feeling stuck. Like you, you need to like come up some, with some ideas. You need to generate your creativity. How would you do that? If I say to you, is there a way you could tap into your five? Like, you might be like, I have no idea. How am I supposed to spark my creativity? I'm supposed to have creative thoughts about how to spark creativity. I don't. But then if I said, is there a way you could do that through your five senses? Well, all of a sudden the concreteness of that starts to make you think like, yeah, maybe I could like, Maybe I could get out a big pad of paper and some colored markers and some stickers and like map it out. Or, you know, maybe I should go for a walk in the park and like that's going to like free my mind. Like there's something about the specificity that then kind of unlocks ideas. Um, sometimes, you know, you need to embrace a constraint. And I think having to think about something through the five senses often helps people to to generate ideas that they they don't know they're capable of. Yeah. Yeah. And I love like one of the things that you know, I think is really for our clients that we see is stress, you know, workplace yes. stress, especially, you yes. know, coming the last sure. few years, a lot of people are, you know, I, I know here in Canada, a lot of people are still working at home, they're juggling their family. So like for you personally, and then also stories you've heard, like, what have you heard uh, and learned yourself about like, how can tapping into our five senses help us at work when we're really feeling that crunch? Yeah, I mean, that's that's just a huge issue. Um, one of the things that really interested me about doing this was often I would understand something that I did in my own life that I had no explanation for. You know, we have all these like habits and ticks and patterns that you you just never think about it, you know, and then you're thinking, why, why do I do that? Or like, why, why, it, it, who knows? And one of the things that I had noticed about myself, or I realized after I started uh, researching five senses, is that when I'm stressed out, I'll often hold a pen, mm. like in a situation where I don't need a pen. Mm -hmm. um, and yet I would hold a pen. And I realized that that is a way that, and, and then talking to many people, um, I found that that is a way that many people will calm, calm themselves in a, in a stressful situation. And it sort of doesn't matter what it is. So you know, you can pick something that just feels appropriate. Like for me, holding a pen, it's it's inconspicuous and it's and it's also kind of like a talisman of my identity. It's a pen. But I talked to an like who was a nonprofit organizer who said she always held a clipboard. And that even if she didn't need a clipboard, she just felt like hanging onto it gave her something to do with her hands. And it was like it was a signal like I'm prepared, I'm at the ready, like I'm on duty. And that helped her feel grounded in her body. I've talked to people who will hold like a mug of hot coffee or hot tea. Or like a water bottle of like ice cold water, you know, sometimes people like different things like that, or even like a rock. I remember uh, a teacher was saying that when she got really stressed out having to deal with all the tech um, challenges with just the beginning of COVID that she found that if she held a polished stone and just passed it from one hand to another, that helped her like stay calm. So that was just sort of a funny little example of how we could use our sense of touch. Because I think people are familiar with things like weighted blankets, therapy dough, fidget toys, pop toys. And those are great. People love those, um, especially like maybe if you're on a, a virtual call and you're feeling restless, like kind of out of sight. Like I have a I have a fidget spinner right with me. If I needed to, I could just do it. You wouldn't know. Um, and yet it kind of gives me something to do. So that's like that's that's tapping into the sense of um, touch. Um, another thing is to think about what well, are there things in your environment that are that are distracting you or draining you that maybe you haven't consciously realized. So 
maybe if you're working from an open office plan, are you very distracted by the people coming and going, by the kind of virtual uh, visual clutter or the clatter? You know, there's clutter and clatter. Mm -hmm. So do you need to do things like turn off your notifications, um, ask other people to turn off their notifications? I begged my husband to turn off his notification <laughs> sounds. He had like three different kinds. I'm like, how can you live like this? <laughs> I mean, I'm just in the kitchen, like fixing myself like a cup of coffee and my you're stress level is through the roof. You're not a, you're not, you're not a brain surgeon. Um, and, uh, you know, and so, and then if you work from home, then there's like, can be a different set of, of distractions and, and things that are draining and annoying. And, and one thing I will say too, um, about working from home is I think for many people, it's kind of a makeshift situation. Mm. And I think that for a lot of us, we need to think like, this is now permanent. And so I don't want to be sitting on a really uncomfortable dining room chair for eight hours a day. Yeah. And I don't want to be in the dining room. I need to find a place where like I'm, I can have a little bit more privacy and I don't have to depend on other people, like not to tiptoe through my background or, you know, to remember not to let the dogs out or whatever. It's time to think about, okay, how do I make, I have a friend who didn't have a printer for like huh. 18 months. And I was like, well, what did you do when you had to print something out? She goes, oh, there's like a store down the street. Yeah. I'm like, get a printer. <laughs> you work from home full time. You have no physical office. What yeah. are you doing? Like, yeah, and she's you like, know, well, you know, it's this, it's like makeshift, like if it's yes. makeshift, but it's actually permanent, like do the thing so you're comfortable in your body and you're not constantly being drained and distracted. It's so well, there's funny. There's so much energy yeah. we spend blocking things. <laughs> yes, like if yeah. we're not that is aware, it. That, that is it. Of that. our senses. I, I did it this morning. I was having breakfast on the outside patio and I was like, why am I kind of stressed out? What's going on? I just put everything down and I just sat there and listened. And I realized there was this construction hum, mm. like way in the background, far yeah. away, like a particular pitch. Mm -hmm. And I thought, God, I hear birds. I hear lots of wonderful things, but that's in the background really annoying me. Do I want to stay here or do I want to go back inside? Like right. then I could be in choice about what I wanted to right. do. Right. <laughs> yes. Oh, it's so fun. I was just, as, as Christian, you were saying that I was thinking like literally the other day, my husband has a minivan. And so he took, he went with our neighbor to get her office chair. She's like, I've been sitting like at my dining room. Yes. Three years. I mean, yeah. And it makes a big difference. I mean, again, yeah. it's like, it's, it's, what is that comfort level to you? What is the experience of your body? Yeah. Um, uh, well, another really interesting thing for people to think about is what is their neglected sense? So mm -hmm. I have a quiz um, that you can take online, discretionrooven.com slash quiz. And it's very short and it's free. It's really fun to take. And Michelle um, and I have done it. Do you want to yes. know ours? Okay, wait, let me, I'll explain what a neglected <laughs> okay. sense is. And then I'm dying to know what you're saying. Okay. okay. So for people, so a neglected, so we all have appreciated senses and neglected senses. So an appreciated sense, it's like, you enjoy it. You like to learn about it. You like to have adventures and explore it. You'll talk about it with your friends. You'll reminisce. You turn to it for comfort and pleasure and adventure. With a neglected sense, like, you you know, you don't talk about it. You don't tend to learn about it. You're not interested in in, in reflecting on it or reminiscing about it. You, it. you may be more concerned with avoiding the negative aspects of that sense than pursuing the positive. And it's really helpful to know your negatives, your neglected sense, because this is where you have low hanging fruit. You're probably already doing a lot with your appreciated sense and that's great, 
But the neglected sense sort of opens up all these new possibilities because it's something that you're not already drawing upon. So it's a great place for new adventures and new sources of comfort and new sources of pleasure. Okay, so um, so neglected sense. Janice, what is your neglected sense? The mind smell. Interesting. Was, yeah, not shocking to me. I mean, no, I, it wasn't. I don't wear perfume. Like if somebody gives me a scented candle, I never use it. Mm. <laughs> you know, so I, I will say I do like um, body lotion and mm. soaps. Like I like citrus. Like there, so there were certain smells that I knew that I liked. So I've been paying attention because that's mm. your quiz is like, yeah. how do I look for opportunities? So Good. I was visiting my sister last week and I was saying to Michelle before, like, there were these beautiful, um, I don't know much about trees, but there were these beautiful flowering trees where I used to live and I missed them. They're not in my new neighborhood, but I smelled them when I was in mm. Vancouver. And I was yeah. like, oh, this is the tree yes. you know, that I used to yeah. smell. And but, um, and then right now I have a new body lotion and it's got, it's cherry and almond. And I love marzipan. Mm. Like marzipan reminds me yeah. of being a child because um, mm. my parents used to get it. They're from Britain and also a very beloved neighbor, he loved marzipan. So my parents used to bring mm. marzipan for him when they went home. So that reminds me of marzipan. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm trying to pause almond. in the morning when I do my body lotion and like, remember, like have that memory, you know, of my childhood. Oh, that's see, my- that's so wonderful. Because sometimes like these pleasures can kind of fade into the background, <laughs> like the flowering trees, you're sort of dimly aware of it, or you can really bring it into the forefront and really enjoy it and make the connection with your past and, and really just, you know, revel in it. Yeah. Um, and how about you, Michelle? What's your neglected sense? Uh, my neglected uh, sense is taste. Me which too. At first, I was like, wait a minute, my husband is a cook. He loves to cook for me and he makes oh. the most amazing dishes. And as I was thinking about it, I thought... I rely on him because I like it when we're out in a restaurant, I'll say, what should I order? Yeah. And he always picks the right thing. And if I say, no, I'm really in the mood for this. I usually regret it. (laughs) You know, So I'm wondering if I'm relying on him for almost 30 years. Right. (laughs) Well, this is a great question. I took a note of that, Michelle, because my neglected sense is also taste. And my sister, who's the co-host of Happier, hers is also taste, which is interesting that the two sisters have the same neglected one. But I will often say to my husband, do I like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or is do I is it do I like this or do I like that? And he'll tell me. And I wonder if that is almost a tell, because I would love to have more questions that like, uh, like with the four tendencies quiz, which I know both of you know about the four tendencies. With the four tendencies, there's certain things that people say where I'm like, Bing, 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 bing. Ooh, that's a flashing sign that you're a questioner. That's a flashing sign that you're a obliger. I would love to have some like quick questions where I'm like, is this just kind of like a shortcut? And I wonder if saying, do you often ask people, what should I order? What do I like? Maybe that's a sign that that's that it's either your most neglected or one of your most neglected, because I bet. Uh, so Janice, it's not one of your, it's not your neglected. Sense. No, but you, you know, ever, it's so interesting. My sister, sometimes we were laughing. I was with her last week and we were laughing because I would, she would, we would be at a restaurant. We'd been at a bunch of times and she'd go, she would think I'm going to order something. And I'm like, but you don't like that. Like you've had that here and you didn't like it. And she's like, really? And I'm like, no, mm. I remember it and not like it. <laughs> oh, I wonder so, if her, oh my gosh, I'd be uh, yeah. so fascinated to know if it's her like. <laughs> Maybe we've stumbled on like a secret tell. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's so <laughs> interesting. But so here, Michelle, this is uh, interesting for the us as the taste people. 
is that of the of the neglected senses, they're very evenly distributed, which surprised me. I thought almost nobody oh. would have sight as a neglect, neglected sense because we're hardwired for sight and it takes up the most real estate in the brain. And yeah. sight trumps other senses if there's a conflict. So I didn't think anybody would have that result, but it's about even it's they're all about the same. But taste is the most pop. It's the most appreciated sense. Oh, really? Oh, and that's after so that, fascinating. Hearing, yeah. Yeah. Wow. So more yeah. to come on the so study Michelle of the needs, senses. You need to do the ketchup taste that Gretchen does in the book. Oh, yeah. I haven't done the ketchup taste because that was a fascinating study that you did about ketchup in the book. Yeah. yeah. Yes. No, love, love a Heinz ketchup. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's magic. Read the book to find out what we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, my sister was one of the, I really struggled to come up with the title of the book. And one of the things I thought about is why ketchup is magic. <laughs> and uh, because I talked about it so much uh, while I was working on the book and my sister really wanted me to do that. She 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 gave me like a ketchup T-shirt. She loved that title. But other people did not like it. It was it was a, it was a high positive, high negative. So I decided to like, eh, maybe people think it's a cookbook. Yes. Yeah. It's uh, I can see it had the whimsy, but maybe it wasn't mm -hmm. as clear as yeah. life and five senses. So, yes. yeah, um, a little on the note, more on the nose with that one. <laughs> Yeah. So, so I, I, um, maybe you, I would love to bring in the four tendencies just quickly. Mm, Cause I think yeah. it also like, I, I sort of started this conversation by saying one of the things I love about you is you turn things into like a project. Yeah. And I was telling you just before we hit record, like I make all my clients, you know, do your quiz of the four tendencies, which I'll let you explain. But I think that will also inform how people will approach their Yes. Own five senses. Yes. So if you could explain what that is, how people can take it, and then how that would relate to this, that'd be great. Yeah. No, I'll, I'll explain the four tendencies. And then Janice, I want to, I want to hear from you if you notice that you, that your clients tend to be in one or the other. So let's remember to come back to that. Um, okay. So the four tendencies is a personality framework that I came up with when I was working on my book better than before, which was all about how to make and break habits, because I was trying to figure out patterns that I saw in how people were able to make and break habits. Cause I would, I, I, I was just picking up these patterns and I couldn't figure out how to explain it. And then I, and then I figured out this framework. So what the, and, and I will briefly describe this and most people know what they are right away. Like they don't even need to take the quiz. It's very obvious what they are. You can do the game of Thrones characters. We can do like th these are movie characters. They're very obvious, but there is a quiz GretchenRubin.com slash quiz. You can take the quiz for free. Like 3.2 million people have taken the quiz now. Um, and it will tell you what you are and give you a little report on how to use it. But as I say, you don't even really need to take the quiz. So what it looks at is a very narrow aspect of your personality, but one that's very significant. So as you say, Janice, you're finding it useful with your clients. Um, it, it's how you respond to expectations. So all of us face two kinds of expectations, outer expectations, like a work deadline, and inner expectations, like my own desire to keep a New Year's resolution, my expectation for myself. So depending on whether you meet or resist an outer or inner expectation, you're either an upholder, a questioner, an obliger, or a rebel. So upholders readily meet outer and inner expectations. They meet the work deadline. They keep the New Year's resolution without much fuss. They want that's to know me. what other... That's you. And that's me too. <laughs> you and me both. And we're, me. <laughs> we're a very small group, Janice. Okay, Michelle, I want to know what you are. Hang on. Um, 
And so, yeah, it's what they want to know what other people expect from them, but their expectations for themselves are just as important. So their motto is discipline is my freedom. Then there are questioners. Questioners question all expectations. They'll do something if they think it makes sense. They resist anything arbitrary, unjustified. Uh, they need reasons. Um, so they're making everything an inner expectation. If it meets their inner standard, if they think it makes sense, it's customized, it's the most efficient way, they'll do it no problem. If it fails their inner standard, they will push back. So their motto is, if you convince me why, then I will comply. And shout out to our partner, David. He's a questioner. Okay, he's a questioner. Okay, good. We're getting like a, we're getting, getting, bring them all in. Then there are obligers. Obligers readily. Okay, Michelle's hand is up. Okay. Well, and this is the biggest tendency for both men and women. This is the biggest tendency. You either are an obliger, you have many obligers in your life. Obligers readily meet outer expectations, but they struggle to meet inner expectations. So these are people who say things like, why do I keep my promises to everybody else, but I can't keep my promises to myself? Why can't I take time for self-care? Why can't I keep my priorities for myself? This is because obligers can meet outer expectations, but to meet an inner expectation, they must have a form of outer accountability. This is why I keep Janice and David in my life. There you go. And that's why that is so wise, because yes. you can meet an inner expectation as long as there's outer accountability. Like yeah. you read a book, you want to read more, you join a book group, you want to exercise more, you work out with a friend who's annoyed if you don't show up, or you work out with a trainer who will charge you anyway, you raise money for a charity, you think of your duty to be a role model for someone else. There's a lot of ways to create outer accountability once we realize that's what we need. It's not a matter of like inner motivation. It's a matter of outer accountability. And and but obligers are the most likely to come through uh, when someone needs a hand. So they are the rock of the world. They're the biggest tendency. Um, so their motto is you can count on me and I'm counting on you to count on me. Now, if obliger is the biggest tendency, the smallest tendency is rebel. Rebels uh, resist outer uh resist outer and inner expectations alike they uh they want to do what they want to do in their own way in their own time they can do anything they want to do they can do anything they choose to do but if you ask or tell them to do something they're very likely to resist and typically they don't tell themselves what to do like they don't sign up for a 10 a.m spin class on saturdays because they think I don't know what I'm going to feel like doing on Saturday. And just the idea that somebody's expecting me to show up is going to bug me. So um, their motto is you can't make me and neither can I. Um, so those are the four. Um, so this is interesting. So we have two upholders and an obliger. Okay. And um, and so, and Janice, with, with the people that you, your clients, do you, I mean, often obligers are often drawn to coaching yes. because they know that's what they need. Do you find yes. that? Yeah, we do. And it's sort of, no, you know, we Michelle, also, um, we, we, through, uh, uh, sure mean the author of positive intelligence, we've been trained under him and he has saboteurs also. What are our most common saboteurs? And mm. one of them is pleaser like where you're really sacrificing your own self, right? And that it's, it we see it a lot in the nonprofit world. That's a very common saboteur. And I think also obligers, like it's a very, uh, you know, it can become a problem where people are self-sacrificing. Like you believe so much in a cause that you're over giving, right? So I find it yeah. so helpful because mm. it lets me know as a coach, like 
how much accountability, like, you know, some people, I do have some clients who are like, no, I'm going to do that. I'll talk to you in two weeks. Like, I know the member, I know they're going to do something or they're going to choose not to because circumstances change, but I don't need to. And then I have other ones where it's like, do I need to email you on Friday and remind you (laughs) that, you know, and that, and many clients say to me, Michelle, you're probably the same. Like, they're like, I did the thing this morning because I knew I had to talk to you at noon and I was going to disappoint you. <laughs> but, so, but here's the here's the thing that I find is first <laughs> that a lot of obligers really feel like they should not need outer accountability. Like they almost feel like they should learn to grow out of it or that they should. It's like training wheels that they need to uh, get rid of. And I'm like, this is the biggest group of people. There is nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with this approach of having outer accountability. If this is what you need to have the life you want, fine. This is this is not a problem. There's nothing there's nothing that needs to be you just need to figure out, well, how do I get the kind of accountability that's going to let me achieve my aims for myself rather than saying, well, I don't understand if these upholders don't need it, these questioners don't need it, these rebels don't need it. I shouldn't need it either. I'm, who's to say? There's nothing wrong with you. That's right. Um, just get yourself what you need. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And we work a lot with clients around that, creating yeah. an accountability structure and a team so that they can create a sense of structure to be accountable for things with deadlines and how they want to be accountable in an un, in a non-judgmental way, like yes. to create this different support system. But here's yeah. two things I would say about obligers, like specifically for your listeners. First of all, Obligers also need outer accountability for fun and for taking time off. Like they might be like, well, why do I I love to to have tennis lessons or, you know, of course it's fun to go on vacation. I don't need that accountability for that. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. (laughs) And a wise boss or manager says to an obliger, hey, I'm looking at your record and I see you haven't taken a break in 18 months. I don't want you to have obliger about a rebellion and burn out. I need you to come in by the end of the week and tell me what is your plan for taking time off? What does that look like? Or say things like you're setting a bad example for your team as a boss. If you stay late every night, how are they going to not think that that's the way they need to behave? If you never take a vacation, they're going to feel like they should never let themselves off the hook. Is that the kind of role model you want to be? So you have to have outer accountability even for that. And here's another thing. Sometimes obligers make the mistake of thinking, wow, I'm not meeting my expectations for myself. And it's because outer expectations are so heavy. I'm the head of this big organization. I've been giving it 110% for 10 years. I'm letting all these other things in my life slide. You know what? I need to just like Mm -hmm. switch jobs, really take a step back so I have time for myself. And you know what I see over and over is that doesn't happen. Just the fact that outer expectations are lightening up, you have to have outer accountability for those inner expectations. The fact that outer expectations go away does not mean that now inner expectations will be met. And so people make decisions thinking that they will then get in shape, move, renovate their house, get you know work on the novel in their free time, make time for friends. I'm like, no, you need outer accountability for those things. Yeah. Yes. I literally I will say Gretchen because I because I'm always thinking about your work. I'll be like, I am writing you a permission slip. Here's yes. your permission slip. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you may 
have lunch today. You may yeah. go for a walk with your dog. Like, yeah. I give you permission. And they're like, but it's oh. not even permission. It's like a demand. More. <laughs> yeah. It's like you have, like, uh, I'm giving you permission to do it. And I'm going to be annoyed if you don't. Yes. yes. Like, yeah, this well, is I like, write it down. they know I'm yeah. writing it down. I'm, right. I'm writing so it is... down and I'm going to ask you when I see you next. Yes. Yes. It's like doctor's <laughs> orders. <laughs> yeah. But you know, right. I think that sometimes obligers are confused because they think they're trying to understand why they have this pattern in their behavior. Um, and they they often will kind of um, criticize themselves for it or they will dress it up uh, and have other explanations where I think if you just sort of think about outer expectations and inner expectations and outer accountability, it's a lot, you don't, you can just put aside all of the whys and wherefores, which can become very distracting. Um, and just think about, okay, well, how would I create outer accountability? Okay. And yeah. can I talk about obliging rebellion for a second? Yes. yes. Yeah. Okay. So this is, oh, and we, we see it in the nonprofit world. I bet you world. do. I would, love to see, I would love to hear examples of how you've seen it um, come up because it's so, it's such a mysterious pattern if you don't understand it, but if you understand it, then all of a sudden behavior that doesn't seem to make sense, makes perfect sense and is actually predictable. So obliger rebellion is when an obliger is in a situation where they're like, meet, 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 meet expectations. And then suddenly they snap and they say, this I will not do. And it can be small and kind of funny. Like, I'm just going to sit in my car in the parking lot and be deliberately late for work. Or I'm not going to answer your emails for two weeks. It's like a small kind of rebellion. Or it can be huge. Like, I'm quitting my job today. I'm walking out the door or I'm ending a 20-year friendship. This is over. I'm getting a divorce. Like. And it looks like sudden kind of um, disproportionate response. But what it actually is, is it happens as a protective measure when obligers are feeling just good expectations are just unbearably high, where they feel ignored, exploited, taken advantage of, unheard, and they put up with it and put up with it. And then it's like the, you know, the balloon bursts, the, the, the volcano explodes, and it's meant to protect them because it's supposed to blow up a situation that's just unsustainable. And sometimes it is protective, but sometimes it has real reputational risk because the other people around you don't understand it. And they say things like, well, I asked you if you wanted to be on this committee and you said you were happy to be on this committee. So now I don't understand why you're so angry at me. Or like, you know, if you weren't, if you felt like we were working you too hard, why didn't you say something? Why are you just up and quitting? Like, where is this coming from? I don't understand it. But if you know about Obliger Rebellion, you can see it coming. You can feel the building anger, the yes. building resentment. Obligers start to say things like, I'm acting out of character. I've mm. never done this. This is so unlike me. People are starting to say, what's up? And it's like, yeah, because it's building, building, building. And so if you can figure out that it's coming, you can intervene so you don't have that explosion. Because by the way, Obligers are often the most valuable employees. They're super great family members and friends and neighbors and colleagues because they they go the extra mile. So you don't want to risk, you know, burning out like one of your top obligers because you let them get into a situation where they're on nine committees and everybody else is on two committees or they're doing all the unpleasant work travel because everybody else is kind of like um, looking at the ground and shuffling their papers when it's time to raise your hand. You got to like, we've all got to make it fair. And keep yeah. things fair and make sure that the obligers aren't taking on too much just because they're really good at shouldering those outer expectations. So 
what are how do you see this pattern in, in your own experiences? Because I'm fascinated by obliger. Well, rebellion. the impact of an obliger, you know, going over the edge like yeah. that and, and doing something drastic is yeah. that other folks don't understand where it's coming from. Yes. It and it creates this sense of distrust. Yes. Like, wait a minute, I thought I totally could count on you or I yes. knew who you were. And this emotion or this action is feels like it's coming out of nowhere. Yes. And so for leaders who are obligers, and many of them are in the nonprofit world, to to allow themselves to get over that edge can have actually pretty drastic consequences for the trust of an organization. Well, and, and you know where some... I think it's yeah, I think it's showing up like I I can personally think of so many people that I know in the nonprofit sector who suddenly left their jobs. They don't have mm. a new job. They're just like, I'm done. I'm just yeah. done. I'm taking a yeah. break. Yeah. And that's very obliged rebellion. Yeah. I'm I done. was like, I was like, oh, that's interesting. And then I was, I would be at some networking thing and I'm like, oh, you're doing that. And you're doing, that. I think it's yeah. showing up a lot in that way. It's just like, it's too much. I mean, it's been, you know, if you think about raising money during the pandemic, and all of the uncertainty, and then especially like, you know, if you work in healthcare, the pressure, if you work yeah. in social services, I mean, food banks, housing, yeah. like everything just, it did, it just became intolerable for a lot of people. And, you know, and I've had people come to me for coaching who are like looking for the next thing, but they're like, yeah, I just left. Like, and I was like, I, five years ago, I would have been shocked to know anybody and suddenly I know, like I could name, like on my, you know, I could count on my fingers, like how many people have told me that they've done that recently. Well, other than just up and quitting, um, what are other behavior, this kind of over the edge? I love that metaphor of going over because that's very much how it feels. It's like, it's, it's not a controlled pushing back. Mm -hmm. It's a kind of spiraling out of control leap. Mm -hmm. um, what are other ways that you see people other than just quitting? Have you seen other behaviors that you would say is are examples of obliger rebellion? I think yeah, oh. I, I would say with you, Michelle, sometimes we call it we say to Michelle, like you need you need to pull back because I think you get um it, what we call stickler saboteur. You know, Michelle mm -hmm. gets like very stressed about the smallest, like we're crafting an email and I'm like, Michelle, what's going on with you? <laughs> Yeah, like ah, so. I think yeah. that's a tell for you. Interesting. Like, you're trying to control because uh, you're feeling out of control. You know. Yeah. Interesting. So, sort of like over, over, overcompensating, overmanaging. Yeah, yeah. yeah managing. I, I have a really good friend who calls it my knife personality because <laughs> she's like, suddenly you brought out this metaphorical knife, and I don't know what's going on. It's like, <laughs> it's like right. the, the horror movie. She's so like, it's what? almost like a tone thing where all of a sudden there's this sudden shift in tone, and yeah. people are like, "Whoa, this is like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde type situation." Yeah, yeah like and I, I, I have, you know, Michelle clients. Is, it, yeah, like you like to do things well, but I can feel that I feel when Michelle crosses an edge where it's suddenly like she's just like over like, like, is it OK that we said that? Is it OK? And I'm like, oh, you know, this is not that high stakes. And then I'm like, okay. oh, it, that to me is a big tell for you. It's but like see, yeah. that, that that's an example of how we all need to be mindful of this because it, you because you can't just kind of hand wave it and say, well, obligers deal with it. It's like. This affects a whole organization. It, it, it affects a team. And I really think it's for all of us to be watching out for each other, just as you are, where you're like, okay, I'm feeling the warning signs. Something's changing. I need to say, hey, 
I'm watching for you to step back. I need you. To, I'm creating an outer expectation that you're going to like take some time to chill out. Yeah. And that's better for you. It's it's better for both of you. It's better for everybody. You know, it's like, and that's fine. But I do feel like a lot of us need to look around, make sure that things are fair. Obligers sometimes aren't good at doing that for themselves, but they're really good about doing it for other people. Yep. Like a lot of people said, like, you know, I'll, I'll mar- march into my boss's office and say like, do you know what they're doing to so-and-so? Like, that's not <laughs> that right. That was I'm me. Like, I used to be that person when I worked <laughs> That's good. That's good. I mean, because I do think that you don't want to get into a situation where just because someone really is willing to step up, that they get stopped on. Well, you know, I will say, I mean, I think I do it, Michelle, you tell me if I'm right, but I like we because we co like co-lead, co-create everything. And I'll sometimes be like, no, I am taking that. Yeah, like, you cannot yes. do that. I am taking it. And yes. then you're like, oh, yeah. OK. Yeah. <laughs> well, another and thing, it's so, kind of along the same line, something that sometimes works for obligers like for, in their own minds is like saying, if I don't do this, I'm giving somebody else a chance. So it's like Michelle could be like, well, this would be good for Janice to have this experience or whatever. Maybe not yeah. in the case of the email, but like if you're like, I remember an academic was saying he felt this pressure because he so believed in what he wrote about that he, he wanted to like spread the world, the word of the world, which is a very kind of academic idea that like, oh, the world is just so needing your ideas, but whatever. Um, and so he felt enormous pressure to always say yes when he was asked to present, which was quite often because he was very like well-known. But then it occurred to him, well, this doesn't do anything for my career because I'm so well established. But for somebody starting out who's in my field, this could be like a huge opportunity for them. And so I'm going to say no so that someone else has an opportunity to step forward and to have that experience. And I was like, again, with an obliger, it's like, it's not like, hey, you need to give yourself a break. You need Because then he would have been like, no, I don't. I need to spread, put this world idea into the world. But if it's like, no you're hogging the limelight, give somebody else a chance to shine. He was like, oh, I get that. I Uh I do. That is an outer expectation of kind of like this unknown other person. But of course, somebody else is going to step up and give that presentation. So it was really true. And tying back into your work of the five senses, what I've learned about myself as an obliger, and this comes from self-exploration, which we always encourage our clients to do in coaching, it's when I realize my stress levels are ratcheting up and I don't know why, and I'm feeling that I actually clue into my senses. It helps me ground myself in the moment in order to make the right decision and sort of bring my brain back online. It's such a great example of how these things all fit together. They really because do. It's like, but you kind of have to notice that you're that you're getting yeah. overwhelmed or drained or you know overtaxed, and then you can say, "All right, okay, given what I know, like what's going on, there is that machinery in the background that's yeah. stressing me out." You know, you right. ha- we have to kind of constantly. It's very easy just to ignore what's happening in our own bodies and our own minds. You think, how could I ignore it? And yet, I, I mean, it's really easy to become disconnected yeah. and not notice. It's My really tell true. is that I start wanting to get rid of things. I like to declutter. I have that too. <laughs> so I have like, that if too. I'm like suddenly like, do I need this shirt? I'm like, oh, what is going Okay. No, <laughs> no. Medicinal clutter on? clearing. A hundred percent. Uh, or I'll start thinking about more efficient ways to store things. I just did that this morning. I'm like, I have all these handmade books that my daughter's made, but they don't need to be out on that shelf. That's a really high value bookshelf. I'll use that for this collection of aphorisms that I have. And I'll put this thing here and move this here and get rid of all these things. That is so funny. I also have another shout out for your book, Outer Order, Intercom. 
Yes. <laughs> Gretchen's another great book that Gretchen wrote that I enjoyed. So, Although we have talked. So go ahead, Janice. I'm sorry. I was going to say, you. maybe I could have written that book myself because I love uh, I, <laughs> Well, yeah, you got to email so me Gretchen, later with all so your tips. It's so funny. Tips. My sister sometimes lets me declutter with her. And I get like, you know how you are with your sister? So yes. you've done, you, there's actually a, several, you've done several podcast episodes, I think, where you, like Liz has let you declutter. Yeah, one time I went over and my sister was like, I want your help decluttering. And I was like, is it my birthday? I, I, know. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. It's so funny. I beg my friends. I'm like, please. Let, let me do it. I find, yeah, because it's like, if it's not even your stuff, it's some, it's like no emotion too. It's like all of the upside and all of like the energizing, but without the kind of decision-making and, and like emotional fatigue when it's your own stuff. Exactly. No. Anyway, yeah. to wrap up soon, because we could just talk yeah. about all this all day, but um, Gretchen, we like, uh, you know, it's a coaching podcast. We like to give people something tangible and we know you love tangible things. So what is something that you would like to offer our listeners something they could try. Yes. So if you're feeling drained and listless or you're feeling restless or you're feeling stressed out and over or overwhelmed, um, either go outside or go to sleep. Up to you which one is the most situationally appropriate, but almost always one of those will do the trick. And great things happen when we go outside and great things happen when we get a little bit more sleep. <laughs> and so whatever is, whatever you feel, um, you know, you need to address kind of something that's going on. Um, do one of those two things, go outside or go to sleep. Awesome. Wonderful. So wonderful much. thing to and try. We're going to link to your book, to your quizzes. So uh, probably all my clients already have your book. <laughs> Excellent. Good. If you've known me for more than three days, you've heard me talk about <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. And, uh, yeah. Thank you so much for, for sharing. It's such a delight. I mean, it's just a joyous book. It's like the, just reading the book is going to make you feel better. And then you're going to be so inspired with so many ideas of how to tap into your own. Oh, I'm so happy to hear that. I feel like we can talk all day. Thank you so much. I enjoyed the conversation so much. Thanks, Gretchen. This podcast is brought to you by Fundraising Leadership. We provide unique coaching and training programs to grow nonprofit leaders. Please subscribe if you haven't already, and you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts. If you are enjoying the show, you can help us continue to bring thoughtful content with a one-time contribution. This supports our production costs and keeps the show ad-free. Contribute today using the link in the show notes, and you'll receive one or more of our highly acclaimed online courses. Now, go put it into practice. Yeah.